So this week, I had breakfast with a friend of mine and walked into the restaurant and there was a big kind of menu with pictures on it. And as I was looking at the menu, there was this big, juicy bacon sandwich. I'm like, that's it. That's what I'm getting. So we waited uh, at the checkout counter for someone to come and help us and nobody came and nobody came and nobody came. So we're waiting. There's nobody else around. Finally, someone came and they said, we'll help you in a second as they started to unload boxes. While I'm standing there, I'm like, okay. Well, next to me was one of those self-serve kiosks. I'm like, fair enough. Go over to the self-serve kiosk, type in my order, that my credit card wouldn't work. And I was like, do I need to go back there and cook it too? I mean, I was starting to get frustrated, but I'm like, it's no big deal. It's fine. It's a beautiful morning. Got to my table with my bacon sandwich and took a big bite only to discover they forgot the bacon. (laughs) And so I had a choice to make. Do I feel like adulting today? Or am I going to regress into more adolescent behavior? Every day, like you, I get out of my bed and I go out into the world and I encounter people. Some of whom are a delight and others who test all aspects of my maturity. Life would be so much easier if everyone were like me right? And your life would probably be easier if everyone were like you. But I go out into the world and encounter people who aren't like me. I also go out into the world and make this bold, audacious claim that I am a Christian. It's why I'm here. It's why most of you are here. I mean, maybe some of you are here because you're searching or looking. Maybe some of you are here because someone tricked you, if that's the case. Sorry, but we're all here together. Most of us are saying we're here because we desire spirituality in our life. Now, when I make that bold, audacious claim that I'm like a Christian, what I'm saying is that I, like I've received Christ's work on the cross, that I believe that Jesus died for my sins, that I have salvation through faith in him, and my decision to receive that gift is a decision of faith to follow in the way of Christ, that I'm going to allow the deep work of the Holy Spirit to happen in my life, and as a result, I'm going to change the way that I think and the way that I behave, which is a process Uh, The scripture teaches that spiritual maturity, spirituality is a process of maturity. And so we in the Christian faith say things like, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I wanna grow in my faith. And when I say that phrase, I wanna grow in my faith, what I'm essentially saying is I, I wanna increase my understanding of God, of the Bible. I want to encounter my creator in some way. And as I do those, things. I'm going to change the way that I view the world. I'm going to change the way that I think, and I'm going to change the way that I behave or interact with those around me. And yet, it's really easy to get stuck in a form of adolescent religion, which is more about taking than giving. It's more about convenience than it is transformation. Because the truth is, I can know a whole lot of stuff 
about God without actually changing the way that I live my life. We've spent the last three weeks uh, in the book of Romans, chapter 12. The book of Romans, chapter 12, we spent week one on two verses, verses one and two. The book of Romans, chapter 12, verses one and two, the apostle Paul, who's writing to a church gathered in the city of Rome, he, he says to this church, he says, offer yourself to God. Fully offer yourself to God as an act of worship. And in verse two, be transformed in the way that you think. Now, the next 19 verses of Romans chapter 12 are an application of Romans chapter 1 and Romans, Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. So this weekend, we wrap this up by calling our attention to Romans chapter 12 verses 14 through 21. The Apostle Paul writing says this, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will reap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans chapter 12, verses 14 through 21, is a piece of ancient literary writing that's referred to in the world of academia as Paranesis. Paranesis is a form of writing that follows a very kind of set standard Uh, making up three different elements. The first is kind of a moral exhortation. The second is Perinesis reaches into tradition. In this case, it's Jewish and Christian, and it's very loosely structured. So in this very set piece of writing, the Apostle Paul essentially is saying to us, mature spirituality results in doing what is right. Now, we may pause there and say, well, who decides What's right? When I was in junior high school, I went to North Park Junior High in Lockport, New York. I had a friend, and for sake of uh, anonymity, we'll call him Butch. My friend Butch decided for some reason that he was going to tell the biggest kid at North Park junior high school, that I wanted to fight him and beat him up, which wasn't true and wasn't even possible. I was very, very frustrated. And because my friend Butch decided to tell the biggest kid in our school that I wanted to fight him, that caused lots of problems for me. So I decided what was going to be right what was going to be morally good. And so one evening, in the middle of the night, I decided the best thing that I could do 
was go over to my ex-friend Butch's house, egg his property, and leave a threatening anonymous note on their vehicles. I decided that that was right and good, and it felt right and good, until the next morning when Butch's parents called the police and I got grounded for a month. I was taking morality into my own hands and I was deciding what was right in that moment. But for those of us that make the bold claim that we're Christian, what is right is determined by the teaching and the model of Christ, which in most cases is incredibly clear and defines what is good, what is right, what is bad, and what is wrong. So the Apostle Paul, in these verses we're looking at today in Romans chapter 12, verses 14 through 21, is reaching back not only to the Old Testament, but also to the teachings of Jesus. In some cases, directly quoting him. Because he begins by saying, bless those who persecute you. Or we could say, in your daily living, take the high road. And as you're taking the high road, rejoice with those who rejoice. Which is not always as easy as it sounds. Because it's hard to rejoice with that person that got the promotion that you know you deserved. When my wife and I lost our first child and then experienced a season of infertility, it was hard to rejoice with our friends that kept having children and even harder when I found out my brother's wife was pregnant. It wasn't easy to rejoice with those who were rejoicing. He also goes on to say, I want you to mourn with those who mourn. Don't place yourself above others and don't seek revenge. I mean, when Jesus hung on the cross, some of his last words were, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing while they were actively crucifying him. And oh, by the way, while you're not seeking revenge, go ahead and and take care of your enemy as well. We kind of look at that and say, seriously? Seriously? Like, Paul, you can't be serious. Even my enemy? Take care of my enemy? And yes, seriously, he is. If I were to summarize these verses, these small verses from the book of Romans, I would summarize it this way. This is the the Michael revised version. Grow in your faith, grow in your maturity, and in some cases, just grow up. Yep, people can be jerks. Yes, people will disagree with you. Yes, someone's going to hurt your feelings and say mean things to you and mean things about you behind your back. 15 years ago or so, I was pastoring a church out west and there was a church member that did not like me. I know it's hard to even fathom that, but it's true. And because they didn't like me and did not like what I did, they eventually wrote to my supervisors, comparing me to Hitler, calling me a dictator. Yes, people are going to say mean things about you. Yes, people are going to treat you poorly. But if I'm going to move, if we're going to move from adolescent 
immature religion to a more robust, mature spirituality, the one that both the Apostle Paul and Jesus talks about, we have to learn to live at harmony with everyone. That's what verse 16 says. I want you to live at harmony with everyone. Which is difficult because humans have not been able to live at harmony with each other since the beginning of everything. Now in this particular verse, verse 16, the Apostle Paul is specifically focusing on the church community. What he's writing is, what I'd really like is for all of you guys in the Christian church to just get along with each other. If you're familiar with the New Testament and the writings of the Apostle Paul, what you find is over and over and over, he's writing, can you guys please just get along? Philippians chapter 2, verse 2. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. I, I, want, I wish I could go back in time and ask the Apostle Paul, did you ever just get sick of begging people to get along? Because it's exhausting. Like if you're a parent of more than one kid, you know exactly how this works. Your kids start fighting and you once again say, that's your brother, that's your sister. You're supposed to love them. You're supposed to get along with them. The most frustrating thing for a parent is to look at your children and say, stop hurting each other. In Christ, Jesus and grace and the love of God become the structuring reality of how we do life together. Because the world is already crazy enough. There's enough stuff that we've got to deal with, even in like the small, seemingly insignificant things. Like my wife, she plays online Scrabble. She's addicted to online Scrabble. I told her it's because she's getting old, but she just loves online Scrabble. And she says, look at this. So she's playing with people from all over the country. And she says, everyone that wants to play this game with me, they're, they're all men. And I said, look at your picture. Of course, it's all men. So this one guy she's playing Scrabble with sends her a private message through Scrabble. And she doesn't respond to it. She just wants to play Scrabble. And because she didn't respond to this guy, a couple days later, he calls her a name that I can't repeat in church. I'm like, there's enough stuff out there that we don't need to worry about like fighting with each other. See, at the, at the time the Apostle Paul writes Romans, the Christian community was finding itself at odds with the world around them. They were finding themselves on the outside of their social circles, mostly because they wouldn't worship idols, which was the prevailing practice of the culture around them. Everything revolved around idol worship. Commerce, family dinners, everything centered on the worship of idols. And so the Christian community would not worship idols. They worshiped the one true God, And so slowly they were looked down upon. And by the time the Roman emperor Nero is in power, he begins to persecute the Christian church because they do not bow down to the Roman gods of mythology. And so the apostle Paul says to the church, the world is tough enough as it is, so get along, you need each other. I've had countless people tell me that Northbrook is the one place in their lives where they can find a sense of peace, 
and tranquility and transcendence. And we're all responsible for contributing to that. No, you're probably not going to like or agree with everything that happens at Northbrook or at any church for that matter. And to that I say, so what? Like, I don't like or agree with everything. But this is my community of faith. I desire to be a part of a church that comes alongside one another, like the Apostle Paul writes in the book of Romans. Because we need each other. Now, the letter shifts in verses 17 and 18 to relationships within the church, to relationships within the church and those outside of it. Verse 17, this is what it says. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. The central phrase in those two verses is this. So long as it depends on you. There is an element of responsibility that comes with spiritual maturity. Years ago, uh, I deeply disappointed someone. You ever disappoint somebody and they just get, got really upset with you? I deeply disappointed someone. It was not intentional. I probably could have handled it differently. It was just an honest, honest mistake. And this person, this family was like really upset with me. And I tried to reach out. I tried to make amends and they just weren't having it. And I did what I could. I was genuinely sorry. I went out of my way. Like I went way out of my way to make it right and nothing. And finally, I just, I absolved myself of it. Because like as far as it depends on me, I do whatever I can and then go one step further because I want to live at peace with everyone, but every human being has a limit. But even recognizing that, do everything you possibly can to do what is right and live at peace with everyone. Because when you read the scripture as a whole, what you discover is one of the values of the kingdom of God is peace. I mean, Jesus even said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called children of God. But this is hard. You know why it's hard? Because we like vengeance. We like retribution. We like our own form of justice. We like seeing the other get theirs. And revenge? Revenge is oh so sweet. When I get revenge, it activates the reward center of my brain, having the same effect as if I were to bite into a gooey chocolate chip cookie or a piece of chocolate. There is something so satisfying about revenge, at least for a moment. Because when I feel hurt or rejected or insulted or humiliated, I look for ways, you look for ways to restore 
your feelings to a more positive state. And one of the common ways I do that, one of the common ways I bet you do that is to retaliate in some way. And as a result, we live in a world of vengeance and revenge, which feels good in the moment, but social science tells us that it actually makes us feel worse in the long term. We become less human in our own eyes and affirm what the Apostle Paul said 2,000 years ago. Do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Give it your best shot. Don't be easily offended. Be patient. Evil will be answered. But you're not God's avenging angel. Because listen, the, the truth is adolescent religion often just leads to unnecessary conflict. Like I've had people tell me, Mike, you know, I just tell people like it is. I just speak the truth. No, I don't have very many friends because of it, but that's just the price of being a Christian. No, that's the price of being a jerk. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus was the most patient, peace-abiding, loving, tolerant person that ever walked the earth. I served a church years ago, and there was a couple in our church that I loved them deeply, and they were in charge of the prayer ministry. And they decided that one of the classrooms in our church should be dedicated as the prayer room and the prayer room only. Now, the problem with that was the building was very small. The church served about 400 people and we only had two classrooms total in the whole building. And they wanted one reserved for the prayer ministry. No other use. And I said, well, I appreciate what you do, but we just, we just don't have the space to do that. We can't do that. And this couple got so mad said a bunch of horrible stuff about me and left the church. And I'm like, that's what my kids did when they were four. See, adolescent religion makes a lot of mess that we don't stick around for to clean up. Like, I love my children. I do. My my children, my children are genuinely the apple of my eye. I think they're good kids. I think they're great kids. They're funny. They're responsible. They're... I could, I could go on endlessly about how fantastic my kids are, but one thing my kids definitely are, are they're slobs. They're slobs. They create mess everywhere, and then for some bizarre reason, expect me to clean it up, and when I don't, they get mad. Like, don't you, isn't that odd? So how much more odd is it in our adolescent religion, when we make a mess in a church, get mad when someone else won't clean it up, and then stomp out like a four-year-old. Mature spirituality says I'm willing to clean up my own mess. So what do we do with all this? I mean, many of you have been following Christ for a long time, you know this. Like you know Romans chapter 12, many of you. But what do we do with it? If you've ever traveled to London, England and rode the tube, which is 
their subway. On the platform, you'll see this sign, Mind the Gap. And what that means is there is a gap between the train platform and the train. And what they really want is you to not fall into it or trip over it. So there's this big phrase because someone obviously at some point didn't mind the gap, thus necessitating a stenciled sign on the floor that says mind the gap, which means pay attention to the gap between the platform and the train. Because if you don't, something bad's going to happen. There is a space between where we are in our spiritual life and where Christ wants us to be. There's there's this space between the way of Jesus and my very real life. And in my very real life, which is filled with very real people, and very real challenges, and very real opportunities. And I can get stuck, even those of us that are working really hard, we can get stuck in the gap between the way of Jesus and my very real life. The gap is what I've been referring to as adolescent religion. So I can mind the gap in my faith by doing some really practical things, beginning with, the Bible, and making it more applicational than intellectual. Because I can know a whole lot of stuff about God in the Bible and still be stuck in that gap. Our relationship with the world around us flows out of our relationship with God, which is, for those of us in the faith, defined by the scriptures. So here's, here's the next step for this week. I just want to give you a challenge for this week. Once you take out scripture, however you read it, in paper form, on your tablet, whatever. And I want you to look at the two verses we've been spending the last few weeks in Ephesians chapter 4 and Romans chapter 12. And if you run it like you really want to be an overachiever, Matthew chapter 5 and the Sermon on the Mount. And read them every day this week with this question in mind. How do I actually live this? Like, how do I actually take these words from my head to my heart and yield to the Holy Spirit while I'm praying that prayer. It's really easy to take the scripture and make it an intellectual exercise, but the call of mature spirituality is the call to application. It's the call to being a peacemaker. It's the call to... to, to make the hard choice, to take the high road, to stop taking everything so personally, to, to as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So as we, as we wrap up today, I just want to pause for a second. I just want to create a moment of silence because we, you know, we're filled with noise, aren't we? I just want to take a moment right now. Let's just quiet ourselves. If the Holy Spirit has spoken to you today, just take a moment with God, create some space and asking God, what, what's the next step?
So Northbrook Church, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Northbrook Church, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position and do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will reap burning coals on his head. Northbrook, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good.